First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's look together, uh, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. The title of the message this morning is simply, In All Things. In All Things. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything or in all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to read these verses out loud with me, would you please? Let's do it again, beginning at verse 16. Ready? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The church at Thessalonica was an incredible church with an inspiring story. It was started by the Apostle Paul along with his partner Timothy as a result of their missionary journey. You can read about the launching of this church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17 tells us how the church at Thessalonica began. But shortly after the church was started, it began to face serious persecution. They were assembling together for their weekly meetings in a man's house by the name of Jason. The persecution was so intense that the Bible tells us the house of Jason was completely destroyed and essentially Paul and Timothy was ran out of town. But not before Paul was able to establish a core group of people who would continue with fervency this new church in spite of the increasing opposition and persecution that was coming upon them. Some time passes, but the church remains steadfast in their commitment to Christ. And so Paul recognizes their need for a shepherd, a pastor who could help them on their journey to healthy Christian living. So as we talked about in the first hour, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to be their pastor. This is where the letters of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians come into play. Paul is writing these letters to encourage this church as a new, growing, healthy group of Christians. When you come to this chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul gives some admonitions that function like vital signs, so to speak. We understand vital signs of our physical bodies. They speak to the condition of our health. And each time we visit the doctor, that's one of the first things they do is to check our vital signs to see if anything is off, anything that may need our attention. So it is here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're reading what is a list of spiritual vital signs that give or measure the condition of our overall spiritual health. Not only our spiritual health as individual believers, but more contextually here in the book of Thessalonians, the spiritual health and condition of this overall church. Several things. In fact, there's about 18 different vital signs mentioned in this chapter. Verses 12 and 13 is about the relationship that exists between the 
pastor and his people. Then you come to verse 14 and 15 and you find out that Paul addresses the relationship that exists between the church members themselves. Then when we get to verse 16 down through 18, it's about the relationship that exists between believers and their God. What Paul does is give the church in rapid fire succession several imperatives that are to be present in every believer's life. And it's these things that identify our true spiritual health. We're going to look at three of them today. Now the big thing that I want you to remember is that these three commands given to us in verse 16, verse 17, and verse 18 are not isolated by our circumstances or by our feelings. In other words... These qualities are to be continuous in our lives, regardless of our circumstances, in spite of our emotions. In fact, Paul uses the phrase in verse 18, in everything, or as my title suggests, in all things. He's saying that we are to be found faithful and healthy in these areas at all times of our life. Not just in the good times when everything seems to be flowing the way that we would like for it to be, but also this attitude, these spiritual qualities ought to shine forth in our lives even in the bad times when everything seems to be going against us. He tells us to rejoice in verse 16. He tells us to pray in verse 17. He tells us to be thankful in verse 17. And to be quite honest, these things aren't the issue. It's not a problem for us to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. The, the problem in these verses is the modifiers. Because it doesn't say rejoice Sometimes, it doesn't say pray occasionally, nor does it implore us to give thanks in some things. No, it's rejoice always. It's pray continually. It's give thanks in all things. And that's the great challenge. Because again, we don't have a problem rejoicing in some things, praying occasionally or giving thanks from time to time. The problem is continuous thanks, continuous prayer, continuous joy. I want you to write down these three points as we study these verses together. They're quite simple and very straightforward right from the text before us. Number one, in all things, Paul says, be Joyful. In all things, be joyful. Look at verse 16, two words, rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. This command is short and to the point. And here's what we must remember about joy. True joy is never generated from the outside in, but always from the inside out. That is the distinction between biblical joy and the happiness by which the world speaks of. 
The happiness by which the world speaks of and the culture pushes is that our external circumstances ought to dictate our internal emotions. That happiness comes by the things by which we are affected by on the outside. But that's not what Jesus teaches at all. In fact, the Bible is very clear that true joy has little to do, if nothing at all, with the outside. It has everything to do with what's on the inside. Which is why in all things, every Christian can be joyful. Because it is not what happens to us that determines our joy. It is what has already happened in us that brings us our joy. And so no matter what we experience, no matter what trials may be, uh, we, we may be carrying in our life, because of the work of the gospel by which Christ has transformed our lives internally, we can approach every season of life with joy. With joy. I believe the most effective witness of the gospel's power in a person's life is what they see in us regardless of what's going on around us. It's not so much what they hear us say, but what they see in us. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, these things have I spoken, speaking of his word, that my joy might remain in you. I have given you my word, Christ says, that my joy might be fixed in your soul. Helps us to understand Jesus' meaning when he says, I came to give you life, but not just life, I came to give you life more abundantly. That is the joyful life. And when the child of God lives his life joyfully in all things, my, what a great witness it is to the world in need of that same joy that only Christ can give. Too many Christians are walking around with the long face, looking no different than what the world feels. One of my favorite Preachers of bygone eras, one that I read after probably more than anybody else, Charles Spurgeon, he said this in one of his sermons that I read recently. Oh, dear friend, you may rejoice. God has laid no embargo upon rejoicing. He puts no restriction on happiness. You are permitted to be happy. There is no ordinance of God commanding you to be miserable. And to that I agree. Why is it that we live our lives in misery when God says what the work I have done inside of you is to produce a life of joy and happiness in every season of life. In fact, joy is one of the defining characteristics of the Holy Spirit residing in a person's life. You study the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, particularly verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Is. In other words, the proof of the Holy Spirit residing in your life is shown forth in these attributes. The first one is love. The second one is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. 
How do I know whether or not I'm genuinely a child of God? How do I know whether or not I'm living my life filled with the Spirit of God? Is Am I living a life of true joy? Because the foundation of joy is not circumstances. The foundation of joy is Christ. The foundation of joy is Jesus, and it's in Jesus that God's grace enables you and enables me to choose joy. Yes, to choose joy, even in the midst of great pain. I think one of the most enlightening aspects about the Scripture's teaching on joy is that it is most often linked in the midst of suffering. It is often linked with great sorrow. Think about it. The entire book of Philippians, also written by the Apostle Paul, is a book about joy. But where was Paul when he wrote the book? He was not sitting on a beach somewhere, sipping on some sweet tea and enjoying the waves rolling in. He's writing an entire book encouraging us to choose joy while he is sitting in a prison cell being innocent of the charges filed against him on death row any moment his life soon to be taken. And in a prison cell, innocent of the charges, moments away from death. He writes to us an entire book over and over again stating how we can be people of joy. I think about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to look unto Jesus, to look unto him specifically as our example. Follow him. Well, what did he do? He who for the joy, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He goes on to say, consider him who endured such contradiction against himself, lest ye be weary and give up faint in your minds. The proof is found in the life of Jesus who went to the cross with joy, who despised the persecutings with joy, who endured all the pain of our salvation, but He did it with joy. To teach us that in all things we can be joyful. I don't know what it is you're going through today. I don't know what burdens you may be carrying, but I do understand in a room gathered together with this much people, it is obvious that through many of our hearts, there are struggles, there are tensions, there are seasons of pain, there are burdens we carry. And it's so easy to allow the circumstances of life to dictate the joy that Christ wants us to have. But we must choose Christ over our circumstances. We must choose joy and allow His work in our lives to produce that joy in all things. In all things, Paul says, be joyful. It's a vital sign. It speaks of your true spiritual condition. Am I a person of joy? Secondly, write this down. We find it in verse 17. In all things, not only be joyful. In all things, secondly, be prayerful. In all things, be prayerful. Look at it again in verse 17. Three words. Pray, Paul says, without ceasing. Now let's go ahead right here from the beginning and deal with what it does not mean. All right? 
We quote it, we say it, we write it, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. That's the command, right? Pray without ceasing. What does it mean? What does it not mean? This does not mean that we are called by God to offer or recite prayers nonstop at every single moment of the day. It's not what it means, not in its ritual, rigid form. Here's what it does mean, and let's simplify it. I'm going to give you several things to help you encompass this totally. The first thing that I wrote down is it means that God wants to hear from me. If God has commanded me to pray without ceasing, then it obviously means that God wants to hear from me. Do you understand that this morning, that God wants to hear from you? Your relationship with God is no different than any other relationship that you hold, especially that within the marital relationship or the parent-child relationship. We want to hear from our spouse. We want to talk to them. We want them to talk to us. We want our children to talk to us. We want to talk to our children. It's inherent in every relationship that for it to be healthy and joyful and all those things, there needs to be constant communication. The same is true with God. God initiated the conversation with us by giving us His Word. And now he desires to re, for us to respond to him through this means we call prayer. And so when he comes to us and says, pray without ceasing, what he is saying is, I love you, I want to be with you, and I want to hear from you. I want you to talk to me. I don't think it's any more clear than what God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. Call unto me. Call unto me. Talk to me. Ask me. And I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Listen to me. The first thing we need to understand about praying without ceasing is the fact that God wants to hear from me. The second thing that it means is that we are to pray often and deliberate. We are to pray often and deliberate. In other words, pray about everything. Everything. You know where this gets the most challenging? It's not the hard things, but the easy things that we do without even thinking. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray about everything? One author that I read after many years ago on this subject of prayer, name is Mark Batterson. He, he said this, God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Simply put, God don't do it unless you pray for it. We have not, as James said, because we ask not. The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. I wonder how many times God was ready to open the windows of heaven and pour out that blessing. If only I had asked. Pray often. Pray deliberate. That's what he means. Pray without ceasing. That means God wants to hear from me. That God, means God wants to hear from me often. God wants to hear from me deliberately. I wrote down a third thing. It means don't let anything hinder you from praying. Don't let anything hinder you. From praying. If God wants me to pray without ceasing, that means don't let anything stop me from praying. Don't let circumstances stop me. Don't let intelligence stop me. 
Don't let my routine stop me. Don't let my confidence stop me. Don't let my fault as if it's going to work out as it always works out to stop me from calling upon God. If God wants me to pray without ceasing, He doesn't want anything in this life to ever keep me from praying. I think that is the greatest challenge of how good we are at things, how how we take things for granted that we never stop and ask God, God, is this what you would have me to do? Show me confidence from your word. Lead me by your spirit. I want to do exactly what you want me to do, not what I am accustomed to doing, not what I feel is the natural means of what I should do. God, I want you to direct my paths. I read on a fourth thing. I think when Paul says pray without ceasing, not only does it mean God wants to hear from me, not only does God want to hear from me often and deliberate, not only does God not want anything to stop me from praying, hinder me from praying. The fourth thing I wrote down is it means don't ever stop depending on the Lord. Pray without ceasing. Live your life in such a way that you never stop depending upon God. That's what prayer is, isn't it? Prayer is expressing full dependence upon God. In fact, I am a firm believer that the greatest form of pride in a Christian's life is prayerlessness. Because it suggests, God, I don't need you. God, I can handle this. Lord, thanks for always being there, but I got it from here. It's pride. It suggests we don't need God. It suggests thanks but no thanks. I can do this on my own. I'm good. I'm strong. No, 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 no. You're not strong. You're not good. You need God. And that's why he says, pray without ceasing. Don't ever get to a point in your life where you stop depending upon the Lord. And that's what we do when we pray. We come to God saying, God, I need you. I cannot do this without you. Lord, help me. It doesn't mean every single moment of the day that I'm walking around reciting prayers, going through the motions of these petitions that I can cycle through time and time again. No, 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 no. It means God wants to hear from me. That God wants to hear from me often. That God doesn't want anything to keep me from praying. And it means He doesn't want anything to ever stop me from depending upon Him. I got to thinking about that the other day. Listen again to what he's saying. Look at it there in your Bibles, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. If God is asking me to never stop praying, it can only mean two things. Are you listening? Get this. If God is asking me to pray without ceasing, it can only mean two things. It means, number one, that he has more than enough time to give me. More than enough time. Think about what he's saying. To the billions upon billions of people that God is involved in the affairs of their life with every breath that they breathe. 
with all of God's sovereign responsibilities, He still says to all of us, I have more than enough time for you. That's an amazing thought to me. It's so amazing that it's hard for us in our finite minds to grasp the fact that God has more than enough time for me. And don't you ever feel bad for one minute walking through the throne room of God. God wants you there. He has more than enough time to hear what you have to say. There's another thing that it means. I think some of you probably already get it. It not only means that He has more than enough time, it means He has more than enough resources. He has more than enough time, and He tells me to pray without ceasing because He has more than enough resources. I'll simply put, church, don't leave God out of the affairs of your life. Pray without ceasing. Come to Him. Rely upon Him. Ask of Him. I want you to summarize verse 17 like this. Verse 17 right here in our scripture says pray without ceasing. Here's a good summary of it. Are you ready? Always be prayerful. Always be prayerful. Keep the lines of communication open. So, Paul says we're checking your vital signs. But before we examine what we need to do to you, we need to check the basics. In all things, are you joyful? In all things, are you prayerful? Uh, Number three, in all things, Paul tells us, be thankful. In all things, be thankful. Look at verse 18 again. In everything, give thanks. Now let's be honest. Thankfulness is not natural, is it? Especially children, for example. I like to do kind things for my kids. Occasionally on my way home from work, I live about 20 minutes from the church. I'll stop by a grocery store between the church and my house and I'll walk down the ice cream aisle and find some Mickey Mouse ice cream bars or, or if they don't have what I'm wanting on the ice cream aisle, I'll go down the candy aisle. I'll pick up a bag of my personal favorite, Starburst Unwrapped. You know what I'm talking about? I love this. Whoever did this, they're a genius. I don't have to waste my time unwrapping the individual Starbucks. I can just open the bag one time and take handfuls of blessings. Handfuls of blessings. It is so good. I frequent the aisle so much that me and my dentist have a regular standing appointment. I love it. It's my favorite, especially the favorite reds. They're the best. Amen. Amen. Glory to God right there. We're preaching now. Sometimes I'll go by and pick up one of those bags of candy and I'll walk in the house. Kate is our oldest. Charlotte, Kate, we're one of those weird parents that give our kids first names, but we call them by their middle names. Charlotte, Kate, my son, Jonathan, Keegan, my daughter, Brooklyn, Ellie, Kate, Keegan, and Ellie are coming to the home and they're like, oh, daddy's home. And they're running and I'll say, look what daddy brought home today. Oh, 
raw candy, daddy raw candy. My wife's over there rolling her eyes. Daddy raw candy. And I'll say, all right, everybody open up. I got one piece because there are like 100 pieces in there. Three for you, 96 for me, all right? So one for you, one for you, one for you. And it never fails. I've been gracious. I've been kind. I have been borderline generous. And right there with their hands out, you know what they always do? Always, every time, every single time. Can we have another one, Daddy? Can we have two? Can we have two? And sometimes I'll give it. I say, all right, all right. I'll give you two, but just two. And I'll put the second one in there. You know what? They're still standing. Daddy, can we have three? Just one more, Daddy. Just one more. One more. You kids need to learn to be grateful for what you have. And I'm holding a hundred other pieces in my hand. <laughs> Thankfulness doesn't come natural, does it? In fact, this, this whole point becomes even more challenging when the scripture says to us that we, or, or excuse me, that rather that which we do not do naturally is something we are expected to do continually. Think about that. That which we do not do naturally is something we are expected to do continually. I don't think any of us would argue that there are indeed things we need to be thankful for. But it's not, again, some things we're instructed it's in everything. And I'm convinced that what he means here is not that every time you receive hardship, oh Lord, thank you. I've always wanted to get fired. This is great. You're such a good God. Only what he means. I don't think he means in the phone call of bad health that you're immediately to fall to your knees and say, Lord, I really appreciate you giving me cancer. Don't misunderstand this verse. And I think sometimes we read this verse, maybe even teach it and preach it in such a way that causes people to look at it and say, well, I could, I could never, I could never be thankful for everything. But here's what I believe he's saying. I believe Paul is teaching us that in every circumstance of our life, in every circumstance of our life, we can find ways to express gratefulness to God. Even in cancer, we can find ways to be thankful. Even in job loss, we can find ways to be thankful. Even in the deterioration of earthly relationships, I believe what he's saying here is that the Christian in everything, in every circumstance can find ways to thank God. We can be thankful for His love in the midst of hardship. We can be thankful for His presence that He never leaves us nor forsakes us in difficult times. We can be thankful for His sovereignty that nothing ever catches God by surprise. That His hand is involved in all aspects of our lives. Even the things that catch us off guard. We can be thankful that the Lord knew it all along. That He has a plan. That He is in control of it. We can be thankful that He knows what is best. We can be thankful that He is just. That is, He always does what is right. We can be thankful that though it's hard, that God gives us grace to endure it. 
Listen, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, I don't have time to take you there this morning, but it's Romans chapter 8, where he says nothing separates us from the love of God. There is nothing in this life that you and I will ever go through where God's grace and God's love and God's strength is not there for us to be thankful for. In all things, be thankful. Because nothing I ever will do or no experience I ever will have will affect God's love for me, His care for me, and His providence over my life. Therefore, in all things, I can be thankful. In every circumstance of my life, I can find ways by which to thank the Lord. Listen, church, you can be thankful. And I'll add that you must be thankful. Because notice what he says next. For this is the will of God. Notice again that it is not based upon my emotions or my circumstances. That my thankfulness in all things is based purely on the will of God for my life. How many times have we went through things and we've made statements like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out God's will in all of this, God's plan in all this. Well, listen, let me tell you God's will in everything that you experience to be thankful. Find ways. Find ways, even in this moment, perhaps the darkest hour of your life, Find ways to be thankful. You see, only God can take the millions of details in a person's life and weave them into a beautiful tapestry of His perfect plan. That's why we live our lives believing that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So when we are thankful in all things, we are affirming our absolute conviction that no detail of my life is insignificant. That no detail of my life is irrelevant to God. That He is using everything in my life for the glory of His good pleasure. Therefore, I can stop and give thanks to Him. It's in a challenging passage, even in its brevity. In all things, be joyful. In all things, be prayerful. In all things, be thankful. There's a very important phrase as we close that I intentionally left out in verse 18. I've waited until the end of the sermon to direct our attention to it because I don't mean to come across as if it is easy to be joyful. Easy to be prayerful or easy to be thankful. In fact, I, I, don't, I don't mean that to be the case at all because I do realize that in the natural flesh in which I still reside, there's this war that rages between the Spirit of God and the flesh. And there is a constant challenge to find joy in all things and to pray about everything and to be thankful in every circumstance of even my own life. But Paul gives us the secret here. 
And I want you to listen to me very carefully because there is only one way to live this way. Look in verse 18, the very last phrase. In Christ Jesus. You can be joyful in all things, Paul says, in Christ Jesus. You can be prayerful in all things, in Christ Jesus. You can be thankful in all things, in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, church. It is only in Christ that a person can ever be joyful, prayerful, thankful in all things. You see... Part of what Paul is saying here is that these things, joy, prayer, thankfulness, they give evidence to the genuine work of the gospel in our lives. The natural man that has not experienced the Spirit of God, he's unregenerate. He's not been redeemed, not been born again. He's not been saved. He, he may can appear to be happy, but he's never experienced true joy. He may enjoy acts of meditation or calling upon God's name when it's convenient for his life, but he's never understood the value of prayer. He might have moments of which he is thankful for things, but he can never understand true gratefulness in that every good and perfect gift is given to us from above. And it's only until a person comes to faith in Christ and experiences the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that it is able to live in confidence a life of joy and a life of prayer and a life of thankfulness because he can do it not in himself but in Christ Jesus. Because naturally we have moments we don't feel joyful, we don't feel prayerful, we don't feel thankful. But what's the difference between us and the unsaved? Well, the difference is Jesus. Jesus is the difference. He's the defining distinction that allows a person to experience these things in the midst of a world that has no joy, has no gratefulness, and does not depend on a sovereign God. My question to you this morning is, have you experienced this difference because if you're trying in your flesh to be joyful prayerful thankful you will continue to spin out of control but if you recognize that i can do these things only in the power of christ then you have entered into the door by which god gives us his spirit to do all that he commands us to do maybe today is the day that you publicly repent of your sins Maybe today, this hour, this moment is a time that you place exclusive faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, Jonathan, you talk about joy and prayer and thankfulness. I can't help but wonder, is there more to this life that makes a person experience all these things? And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Absolutely, there is more to this life. But it is only experienced in Christ, in Christ, He is the key to joy. He is the key to the provision of God. He is the key to a life of thankfulness. So my challenge to you this morning, those of you who are Christian, saved, born again, by the blood of Jesus Christ, ask 
the Christ who lives in you to empower you to live a life of joy in all things, prayer in all things, thankfulness in all things. And to those of you this morning who are without Christ, who have never placed faith in Him, come to Christ and experience the joy of a new life in Him. A life that has been bought for us and purchased by the death and resurrection of God's Son. A life that gives complete satisfaction as we follow Him. May God help us as we seek to live our lives joyful, prayerful, thankful in all things.